This is my effort to improve my own preaching. The issue is not, does the preacher have all the answers? Is the preacher great? Is the preacher wise? Is the preacher successful? It's, is he preaching this? Good morning, and welcome to the first episode of the Passionate Preaching Podcast. I'm your host, Pastor Nathan Browning of Calvary Baptist Church in Hiawassee, Georgia. As a pastor, I've noticed an increase in the number of Christians searching for preaching that helps them to grow. This hunger for the things of God is encouraging, but can also, if not careful, lead to heresy and apostasy when you consider the number of so-called preachers that may be found all over the websites. That's why this podcast was created, as a resource for Christians to find trusted sermons that have been measured by the rubric of Scripture. Today's message is from Pastor Dalton Robertson of Parkway Baptist Church in Trinity, Alabama. Pastor Robertson is speaking at a pastor's conference regarding the topic of preaching and challenges pastors to be biblical in their approach. This message should also help the Christian to create a biblical standard by which to measure any sermon with which you may come in contact. Let's listen in to this sermon on the art of preaching. Bible, so you go to Titus chapter 1. and um, I am going to talk about preaching, and I, I'm going to say, as, by way of apology, let me just say quickly, this is not, um, when you preach to preachers about preaching, they have a tendency to take it like it's a hit piece, right? That's not the way it's intended. This is my effort to improve my own preaching. And what I've come across in that research and that work, this is what I'm going to share with you. Now, I will say, and, and I'm not trying to be a smart aleck, but if the suggestion that we should be faithful to preach the Bible is offensive, then maybe you need a different job. I will say that. How's that? <laughs> you know, if you don't want to hit somebody, don't play football, right? Play tennis. You know? <laughs> if you don't want to wear cool clothes, don't play golf. All right, if you're one of those guys that plays golf and cut off jeans, get another sport, yeah. right? If you don't want to preach the Bible, get a different job. Amen. Amen. I think preaching has fallen on hard times. I don't think I have to prove that. I don't have to prove to you that um, what is passing as preaching these days is not only embarrassing, but it's perilous. What I might have to convince you of, though, is that it's not just the Southern Baptist problem and the Evangelicals problem and the Charismatics problem, but there's a lot of things that's being done under the guise of preaching in independent Baptist circles that is just jarringly embarrassing. Yeah. I'm going to say that again. There's a lot, a lot of stuff happening in our circles, and now the social media, which you know our kind of guys hate social media because it exposes us. Amen. You're welcome. I looked over some old sermons recently because I was looking for something for somebody else. And I'm digging through old sermons. And I was physically sick when I got done. I cannot believe I preached this stuff. And I wasn't bothered because I was young and wasn't as good at it as I think I am now. It wasn't because I was less sophisticated then than I think I am now. It was because much of what I preached then wasn't right. Yeah. Follow what I'm saying? Because my approach was wrong and what I, had, what I would root the sermon, what my goal was when I preached wasn't right. I guess everybody could say that. 
I suppose, to some degree. Recently, uh, this last week, I thought, well, I, I would like to have something interesting to say to kick this off. And so I thought, well, I think I'll do a little research project. I'm sitting at home with the family, and um, so I fired up probably the best place in the world to get the answer for everything, YouTube, amen. <laughs> and, I, and, and I typed preaching in on the search bar, and I said, I'm just going to see what comes up. And I know this is not, not a, a legitimate research project here, but I'm just going to see what comes up. So I type in preaching, and I hit search, and I'm going to look at the first three things. I'm going to listen to these first three sermons and see what's happening in the world of preaching. So the first one was a guy named Stephen Furtick. And, and Stephen Furtick, I don't know if you know him, but it, he's a train wreck. I, I mean, it, he's a train wreck. And I really hate to say that because I'm a nice guy, but he's a train wreck. And so I listened to for like three minutes of it. And of course, he opens with dramatic flair. And I have a verse of scripture that I hope will explode like a bomb. You know, and he looks like he's about to play tennis. And I don't know what's going on there. It's all entertainment driven. And, and all that he's saying is built upon a spiritualization of an Old Testament text where he's taking what is a literal promise to Israel, spiritualizing it, and preaching a prosperity message to people today. Does that make sense? Yeah. Now that's completely wrong, but it, you can get by with that in a lot of places. All right? People say, well, don't you think God wants to bless us? Yes, I'm sure he wanted to bless Paul when they cut his head off. I'm sure that you're right. I'm sure he wanted to bless all the New Testament saints who died martyrs' deaths and 50 million believers who died in the dark ages because they were standing for believers' baptism as opposed to a perversion of the truth. I'm sure he wanted to bless all of them. But included in their faithfulness was a strategic suffering because of their standing for the truth, right? So to preach a prosperity gospel in the context or, or, or in, in, against the backdrop of a well-developed entertainment atmosphere is not Bible preaching. It's not. I'm not trying to be hateful. It's just not. Second guy, T.D. Jakes. You got to admit, T.D. Jakes can get down. Okay? I've never seen anybody who can say things in a more appealing way than T.D. Jakes. But he's not a Trinitarian. His theology is not compatible with sound Christian doctrine. I'm not saying he's wrong about everything. I'm not saying he's not a nice guy. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying that he began to preach a message from the Beatitudes about the attitude. The Beatitudes don't have anything to do with your attitude. There is a profound theology in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and knowing what that is is necessary for communicating what the passage is about. I'm already controversial. Amazing. It's stunning, isn't it? Then the next guy was a notable fundamentalist that I like. As a matter of fact, I think the reason he popped up is because I listen to him all the time. You with me? But his sermon was, again, a spiritualization of the Old Testament. He makes fun of a very necessary approach to understanding the Scripture, dismisses dispensationalism, sets up a straw man, tears it down, and begins to say something that the text doesn't support. And everybody amens it. So I guess you think you've got all the answers. Well, i got more than those three. How's that? 
<laughs> the problem is not a, that, just that question right there indicates where we're at. Right. The issue is not does the preacher have all the answers? Right. Is the preacher great? Is the preacher wise? Is the preacher successful? It's, is he preaching this? Yeah. That's the answer. Titus chapter 1, and by the way, just opening it and reading a verse and departing from it, like the national anthem at a ball game, doesn't make it preaching. Bill Clinton quoted scripture. Titus chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the flesh of God, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior, to Titus, mine own son after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let's pray. Lord, help us, please, to say good things and to be a blessing. Lord, help us to see that it's not just the other guys that need reproof and exhortation, but we need it as well. So, Lord, we pray for you to help us. Lord, you know I like to joke around. You know I'm sarcastic. There's not one person in this room I'd like to offend. But I'd rather not offend you. So we just pray that you'll help us. Pray you give us grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen primary pieces of our text when gathered contextually in one comprehensive expression provide us with an unmistakable ministerial priority. The Bible says here that his word is to be manifested through preaching. So we've heard it said if a preacher is good at hospital visits and bad at preaching, he's not a good preacher. Right? Right? He's good at going to ball games and showing up for birthday parties, but he's not a good preacher. He's not a good pastor. Have you heard people say, well, we got a really good preacher, but he's not a good pastor? Translation, he's not accommodating me. If a guy's a great preacher, he is a great pastor because that's the greatest work of the pastor. That's the pastor's job to feed the sheep, not party with the sheep, and I'm not opposed to that. A guy's not going to be much of a preacher if he doesn't love the people he's preaching to. He's not going to be much of a preacher if he doesn't want to be with them when they suffer. He's not going to be much of a preacher if he doesn't want to party with a family who's had a, a newborn child. Of course. But those things are incidental. Preaching the word of God is central to the work of the New Testament church. As a matter of fact, we could say that preaching the Bible is the central feature of Christian worship. This is why in the old Baptist meeting houses, the Word of God is front and center in what was considered to be an unadorned place of worship. It was Francis Whalen who said, when unadorned, adorned the most. So we don't have a divided chancel. When you come in here to see Christ, it is here from this pulpit. By the way, the pulpit's in front of the preacher. It's where it should be. Right? Because it's not the preacher we come to see. It's the word of God that's to be exalted in the work of preaching. And there's little adornment in a Baptist meeting house because 
What is beautiful is Christ. What is to be lifted up is Christ. We're to have a high view of God, a high view of Scripture, and really very little attention to people in worship. John Broadison, you get a long list of books on preaching. I'm talking about within the parameters of what we would all consider to be at least remotely noteworthy, right? John Broadus has maybe the greatest textbook on the subject, and it's entitled, in, I think it's On the Preparation and Delivery of Expository Sermons. I think that's the title of it. Several editions. John Broadus said that preaching is characteristic of Christianity. No other religion has ever made the regular and frequent assembling of the masses of men to hear worship or to hear religious instruction and exhortation an integral part of divine worship. So in other words, it's Christianity that does this. Which means we understand preaching to be a central feature of our Christian worship. Broadus said inside the church, preaching faces in our day a new insistence upon the importance of work and worship. Ecclesiastical history has tended to follow a cyclical pattern. Church expansion through strong preaching. Organization and stabilization. Crystallization of forms of worship and service. And then he goes, decline of preaching. Loss of spiritual objectives. Revival. And then new expansion through strong preaching. See how that, that cycle usually works. So Broadus was saying that when our preaching is strong, it ex- the work of God expands, and then our attention shifts then to things like organization and stabilization and form and function and, and ritual and liturgy in some circles. And so then we move away from preaching to the form. Then, then apostasy is just around the corner. Another guy who's not our kind of a guy, not our stripe, he was an old congregationalist but the reason I quote him is because he would understand their side of this better than we would you understand so Garvey said this it is noteworthy that the churches which have exalted preaching have generally been indifferent to ritual and that where ritual has been elaborated preaching has declined not interesting so we go to our text and we notice Paul's self-description The Bible says in here in verse 1 that Paul is a servant of God. There's Paul's agenda. It really is about God. We say things that sound like platitudes. They make good bumper sticker slogans. They look good on a refrigerator magnet. They're great for a Facebook post, but I don't know that we really believe them. And this is the motivation for what I've been trying to do in my own personal life about preaching, not to try to be a punk. I don't think I'm a good preacher. As a matter of fact, the more I work on it, the more intimidated about the whole thing I become. It is such a great work. It's such a heavy work. It's such a big demand. And our role as preachers is to be servants of God, to exalt God, to make much of God. And you can only do that by preaching what the Scripture says about God. And in the average Baptist church, the only time those issues are talked about is in a class somewhere that's relegated to a handful of people because we see doctrine as something that is boring and not very practical. And we see our how-to stuff, right, and our self-image stuff and our do-something-for-God stuff and our don't-quit stuff. That becomes central. 
And I'm suggesting that if we were servants of God and if God was our agenda, we would need to preach, don't quit, less. If there was more worship of God. Paul, a servant of God. And then it says he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. You know what that tells us? The fact that he's a servant of God, that's his agenda. The f- In other words, he's not a servant to his homies. You know what I like about these guys over here that I run around with? As much as we love each other, every time one of these guys gets up to preach, the other guys are going, man, don't blow it. <laughs> right? There's not a guy over here who's going, I'll lay many whatever he says. He's in my crew. Right? He's my tribe. No, no, no. They're all going, I love him. I'm pulling for him. But, uh, well, I don't know. Don't go too far down that road. Okay, all right. He's all right. Right? I've been to some meetings where they bust in the crowd that's going to lean into it. Y'all with me? And it doesn't matter what's said. It doesn't matter what's preached. Let's just get the spirit how we want it. Let's just lean into it. Right? And then here's what happens when you leave it. Man, I wish I had the power of God falling at my place. Like, there's no power of God fell there. We bust in a bunch of wackos, said some crazy stuff, and people went nuts. <laughs> our agenda is to serve God, our authority. That's the word that comes up when we talk about Paul being an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's the 13th apostle, the one born out of due time. He's the right one. He was the right choice. He's the apostle to the Gentiles. Peter is the apostle to the Circumcision. See how that works? The book of Acts transitions neatly from the Jew to the Gentile, from the synagogue to the church, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. That's, that's the transition. The Apostle Paul establishes and brings us order to the, and structure to the New Testament church. And that's what he's saying here as the Apostle of Jesus Christ. He is bringing with him the authority of God. That's what it means when it says, follow me as I follow Christ. That's not a text for a pastor to use. To overapply his personal authority. Follow me as I follow Christ. It's Paul saying, Christ is in heaven now. He's given us the truth, and it is being codified in the writings of the apostle and taught to the church. See how that? That's what that means. So these words are significant when he says, I'm a servant of God, that's agenda. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ, that's authority. That's the Paul's self description. Then we get to Paul's soteriology. This is important. This is the theology that makes up who he is. It is our doctrine that makes us. That's what makes us who we are. The first thing the scripture is profitable for is doctrine. That word doctrine means things taught. Doctrine is God's truth in God's words. I, I, I know this sounds critical, and you'll just have to deal with it. But it's so irritating, and I know sometimes people, we all say things we don't mean the way we say it. Our implications are not intended. You know what I'm talking about. But it, there's still something about saying, you know, I'm not going to preach a whole lot of Bible here today. We're not going to get too deep. I, I just want to help you. Do you now? <laughs> well, let's go to Waffle House then. There's no need to be here. If we're closing this, if you want to help me, preach some Bible to me. That'll help me. It doesn't have to be deep. I had a guy say to me the other day, well, you use some big words. And I got to counting the letters and the words. They're not big. He just didn't know them. 
Your vocabulary is not important necessarily unless you just want to improve that, unless you think that would sharpen your edge, whatever. What is important is do you know this and are you preaching these words? That's what's important. And very often one can bring what we might consider to be more shallow. Often shallow doesn't mean shallow. Shallow means familiar. It's okay to preach familiar truth. It's okay to preach the familiar passages. We should. They're in the scripture. But preach the Bible, see. So that, that's what we're talking about when we talk about Paul's soteriology. That is the message for which Paul lived and suffered and preached and died. What is that? You see it right there in the verse, verses 1 and 2. The faith of God's elect. According to the faith of God's elect. I'm not trying to get into any controversy this morning. You can take it any way you want to take it. I personally think that the faith of God's elect, that word elect there is referring to Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 42 references that prophetically. Isaiah 45, that's another. I'm not going to go down that road. I'm not going to fix everybody's theology in the area of election. But I do believe here that the elect is referring to Christ. And this is the faith of God's elect, Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's preaching, that message that is about Christ. And all that he preaches is rooted in the soil of the person of Christ. That's what he's preaching. According to the faith of God's elect. Brethren, listen, let me challenge you. Look at your preaching. Look at your sermon outlines. Consider what's coming out of your mouth. Take a, take a little stopwatch. And, okay, here comes a personal story. Click. Let's see how long we go with that one. Here comes Bible. Click. Let's see how long we go with that. Y'all with me? And see how much of our preaching is about us, is about building our own leadership mystique, how much of our preaching is about our agenda and our program and our machine and, you know, you with me? How much of it is about our crew, our crowd, our tribe? And see how much of it is actually preaching Christ. And preaching these doctrines. Well, then there's the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness. That's part of Paul's soteriology. If we're preaching the doctrines of Christ, those doctrines have to be acknowledged. It's truth, which is after godliness. That means that that's what it produces in our lives. And, and I, brethren, I've preached a lot of things in the pulpit that I think was true. But it wasn't the truth, which is after godliness. It was some true thing that I thought was cool and slick and clever. How are we doing? If you read the verse, be kind one to another, that's your text. And the rest of your sermon is cool stuff from Dale Carnegie. You're not preaching the Bible. You're using the Bible in a speech about kindness. See? That's not me being sarcastic. That is me trying to paint a distinctive picture which shows you the contrast between preaching the Bible and preaching some stuff. You've heard it this way. There's truth and there's God's truth. Right? Let me remind you of something. All of this came from my own personal discomfort with my own shortcuts, with my own insipid approach to preaching. And so it helped me. It's been life-changing for me to make some adjustments. It's brought a burden. It's different. You understand? 
but it has been so much more rewarding to go into the pulpit and try to feed the people that are looking at me with, with truth that is God's truth. So that soteriological viewpoint of Paul, that, the doctrine that he is preaching, it's the faith of God's elect, it's the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, and it is in hope of eternal life. Our work's about eternity. It's based upon the promises of God, God which cannot lie, who promised before the world began. Maybe it would help us to make much of God. Who knows the end from the beginning? Are you with me? Purposes shall ripen fast, unfolding by the hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. It's such a debilitating thing for a preacher to think, I've got to bring it. You don't have to bring it. You don't have it, partner. God has it, right? We are not, we're not manufacturers in this work. We're distributors. So we go gather it up and we share it with people. We do the best we can to point them to Christ. It's an eternal work. But then we've talked about Paul's self-description, Paul's soteriology, and Paul's single-mindedness now. And I want us to understand that against the backdrop of everything that we've said. Paul has a great role. His self-description has to do with what he's doing with his life as a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. And because of that, all of that is being done for the purposes of his soteriological views, his communication of the faith of God's elect for the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, right? In hope of eternal life. That's all so big. So, oh, man, that's really great. So the old school independent Baptist in here right here starts getting a little bit of ner- a little nervous. I start saying, so okay, how do I do that, right? Get me to a conference. i gotta, I got to learn how to do it. Well, that's not all bad. I'm not making fun of practicality. I'm making fun of all our independent Baptists. But <laughs> I'm making fun of us, but I'm not making fun of a desire to be practical. So what in the scripture then brings this down to where the rubber meets the road? If we have this great self-description of the Apostle Paul, if, we, if it is inseparably tied to his soteriology, to his theology, to his faith, what, what do we do with that? Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, But hath in due times manifested his word through preaching. That's what does it. If salvation's important, preaching's important. If the souls of men are important, preaching is important. It's so vital. Listen, I would agree with the preachers that throw routine tantrums about replacing preaching with other things. I agree with that concern. But what is very frustrating is a lot of times the guys screaming the loudest about it are doing the least preaching in the pulpit when they're actually preaching. What is preaching? The first time the word shows up in the Bible is in Nehemiah 6, 7. And it's not a reference to preachers that are good guys. We're making the reference simply to draw a little thought about what the word preach means. Nehemiah 6, 7 says, And thou hast also appointed prophets to preach of thee at Jerusalem, saying. Got that? Preaching involves words spoken. Matter of fact, quote Broadus again. Broadus said that preaching is the great appointed means of spreading the good tidings of salvation through Christ. It's words spoken to the individual or to the assembly. There's something especially potent about the work of preaching. It's not out of style. It's not going to go out of style. 
There's nothing better, nothing greater, nothing more effective than taking the words of the Scripture and communicating them to people in a way in which they'll understand them and then go live them. That's the power. The power of God is in the Scripture, the authority of the Scripture. And then as the Spirit enables people to understand that and then they live and walk differently, that's what it is. It is not praying down some kind of woof of dust on a sermon that was unscriptural and lame. Now I get the power of God and I preach the same lame, unscriptural sermon, but God uses it. Amen. That's, I don't know. How could you not possibly think that way? The power is in helping people see and understand the truth. That's what the Bible says. That's the Emmaus Road. Did not he open unto us the scriptures? Did not our, right? Did not our hearts burn when we see these things in the scripture? They go, oh, that's what that means. Right? Goodness gracious. All right. Preaching is things said. Isaiah 61, 1 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord hath anointed me to preach. No, yes, that's it. <laughs> Sorry. I'm trying to hurry. So we understand that preaching involves things said, but it involves the help of the Lord. That, that anointing, I, I hate to say it, but we Baptists think we look at that doctrine like charismatics. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The Bible says that we're anointed. Every believer is anointed. If you're not anointed, you're not a believer. We have the Spirit, and we need not that any man teach us, 1 John says. What's the point there? When the Word of God is being preached, when the Word of God is being explained, that's what expound means. It means to explain. By the way, that's what the word exposit means. I'm not going to die on that cross this morning. I've offended you about so many other things. Why am I bringing that up? But that's what the word means. The word exposit does not mean a boring dissertation Read a statement, explain it, read a statement, explain it, read a statement and explain it, quote some Greek. That's not what the word exposit means. It means the same thing as the word expound, which means to explain. The whole point is I'm not supposed to use the Bible to say what I think needs to be said. It's my job to take the Bible and preach that to people so they understand this, not my pastoral application of what I think is important in this. You start stacking your sermons up along those lines and you'll have these giant stacks of sermons that are telling people to work hard so our church can grow. The only stack bigger than that one is tithing. (laughs) Right? Then the one about helping somebody suffer faithfully through their trials, you know, like three of those. And the only time you preach those is when, you know, you reach the new year and you didn't get a good Christmas bonus and you're preaching about suffering. Preaching requires the help of God, and God blesses His Word. I was having this conversation with a guy, and I thought it was going well. This happens to me a lot. I'm, th- <laughs> I'm thinking we're having a good conversation. We're both enjoying this wonderful truth and sharing, only to find out he's offended. I know it's my problem. I'm praying about it. But I've described some of my frustration with some of the preaching that I've done. And that I've been around. By the way, this is, what, this is what ref, where reform comes from. Guys who believe the truth have to preach the uncomfortable truth to people that don't want to hear it. Right. I hate it. I'd much rather tell a great story and you got to leave it while I, oh, Dalton, he's a hoot, ain't he? What, he, what that fella, he's all right. This is excruciating. 
But if there's going to be any future for independent Baptists, it's going to come from one thing and one thing only, preaching the Word of God faithfully. Nothing else is going to do anything for us. If you're not going to do that, go ahead and bring Beth Moore in. She probably preaches more Bible than you do anyway. That was theoretical. That didn't have anything to do with anybody here. All right, I've got to move on. Preaching involves things said. It requires the help of God. It is using our words to communicate the meaning of Scripture. Broda said, but alas, how difficult it is to preach well. How small a proportion of the sermons heard weekly throughout the world are really good. Preaching is truth, the union of truth and personality. It's interesting to me that God has chosen to use people like us to do such an important work, but he has. I look across this room and there's so many different kinds of men. I see men in here who are merciful and gracious. God uses that. And I see men in here who are a little more pugilistic and prophetic. And that's needed. God uses that. And then there's people who are a perfect balance of the two. Somewhere here. <laughs> but God takes our personalities, you know, how he's made us and put us together. And when we take what he's made us to be and we immerse that in God's truth and we come out attempting to preach that with our personality. And if you are one of those merciful guys and you preach God's truth through tears, that's wonderful. If you're more prophetic and you preach it with a stern clarity, rooted in the soil of Scripture, and of course shaped by charity, it is good and it is useful. If you're more of a teacher and you can inform people and help with application, all that's good. It just must be Bible preaching. I'm going to say one more thing, then I'm going to wrap this up with some closing thoughts. Bible preaching is not saying things that we all agree we might be able to find somewhere in the Bible. That's still not Bible preaching. Well, you, was it wrong what he said? Well, it wasn't wrong. It just didn't have anything to do with his text. How are we doing? Okay. The floating axe head can't be anything you want it to be. You follow me? You can't just say, I'm going to throw some anchors out. Amen. God's four anchors. What do we need right now? Anchor number one, nice little preacher. Amen. Anchor number two, send him on vacation. Right? So, why do you think preaching has fallen on such hard times? From our text, I would say that the first is ministerial pride. The Bible says, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Man, that, we can get proud so fast, so easily. It is so easy to be overwhelmed by pride. Don't have a lot of time, but there's no such thing as a good pride. It's just not. And um, ministerial pride is devastating. We, we have a tendency to think our opinions are more important than they are. Last night, Brother Nate preached, and he railed us about the overemphasis of patriot not patriotism, but, but uh, politics in our preaching. And in our worship. And I happen to know that Brother Nate is fairly worked up about politics because I see his tweets. 
I know for a fact he wasn't advocating that we be mindless about politics, that we not bring our faith to politics. But this is not about that. What we have to do here is so much more important. than, And I don't care how you couch it. I don't care what kind of arguments you try to make. When a preacher begins to become more, he become a, a spiritual Rush Limbaugh instead of a gospel preacher, something's bad wrong with that. And ministerial pride can lead to that kind of thing. The second reason I think that preaching has fallen on hard times is what I would call a departure from the faith. This says here, uh, Paul... An apostle of Jesus Christ, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect. And when we talk about departing from the faith, we're thinking about a, a damnable apostasy as a general rule. But I'm saying that it is very easy, if we're not careful, to move in our preaching away from preaching that builds faith, away from preaching that informs people's faith, toward a kind of preaching that is humanistic and motivational and relevance oriented. Does that make sense? And we move away from the faith because we get this idea that everybody knows this stuff. I, I pastored here 15 years, okay? Preached here Sunday morning. I was nervous. Not as nervous as the first time I preached after I had left, but pretty nervous. Last thing I want to do is come in here like a moron to these people. There's probably nobody in the world besides my own family that I want to think well of me than people that sit in here on Sunday morning. And then there's Brother Adam, my convert, my, one of my main guys in all my life. Well, how terrible it would be if I disappointed him. So what I wanted to be able to do is come in and tell some cool stories and try to be funny and try to get in that thing. And everybody says, well, Brother Dalton, he's awesome, ain't he? <laughs> he's a mess. That's what I wanted. But I felt like I needed to do something else. I got into a section in the sermon where I'm talking about the theology of the cross, his substitutionary death, justification, imputational doctrine. And I tried to explain some of that, and it felt like it mired up a little bit, and I felt like this is getting a little slow, and this is getting a tad boring. Y'all with me? Yeah. Brother Adam got a call from a guy that was sitting there and said that he cried all the way home because of the justification doctrine. He never thought about it that way. God doesn't take our slate and wipe it clean and give it back to us to mess our slate up again. He gives us his slate, a different slate, right? Christ's righteousness is on our account. And so for the first time, this guy gets some relief, but that was theological relief. If I'd have told a bunch of jokes, it would have been funny for the 30 minutes, of, for the hour I was preaching. But it wouldn't have had lasting effect. I hate to use a personal illustration right there. I'm not the hero of any story. I'm saying God used a simple effort to preach doctrine to build faith. We have to restore our faith in the faith and preach it with conviction. I think preaching has fallen on hard times because of a zeal for faith that is not after godliness. The Bible says here that Paul... His preaching, his ministry was according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness. I hope Pastor Robertson's message has challenged you, if you're a pastor, to really focus on keeping it scriptural. And if you're, if you're just a church member, then seek pastors that make the Bible the focus of the message. Hey, if you enjoyed this podcast, like and subscribe. You can also follow us on Twitter at Passion, the number eight underscore preach, Facebook at Passionate Preaching, or 
email us with any comments, questions, or maybe maybe just some pastors that you enjoy listening to at podcast at passionatepreaching.com.